So if you're just joining us, uh, we've been in a series, this is our third week, called Unconventional Wisdom. And we were looking at several phrases, several pieces of conventional wisdom that sort of exist in our culture, and we're asking, what, what would an unconventional wisdom be about this? Um, and so just to sort of remind us of where we've come from, we began by talking about conventional wisdom. Conventional wisdom is the stuff that everybody knows, that nobody really questions, it's just how things are. And one of the things that we've started to discover is that sometimes conventional wisdom can just be wrong, right? I I don't want to shock you with this. The earth is not flat. (laughs) Hallelujah. Woo. Yeah. The, the, The sun, not the earth, is at the center of our solar system, right? You should. All right. Science. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's these things that people assumed for a long, long, long time about how the world worked, how the universe works, how human beings work, and what we've discovered over time is that actually that maybe isn't always true, and it seems a little harmless. Last week we looked at the, the phrase, we talked about God doesn't put more on us than we can handle, right? And on the surface, and today we're going to look at the, you know, does everything happen for a reason, because that's one of the things we say, right? Everything happens for a reason, and those things seem kind of harmless on the surface, But the reality of those statements are that when they become toxic, they can be used to justify oppression. They can be used to justify the mistreatment of other human beings, the exclusion of other human beings, the extermination of other human beings. They can be used to heap guilt and shame onto human beings, and they actually can work in ways. These little sayings that just float around in our brains that everybody knows and accepts can actually begin to work against human flourishing. And whatever the Jesus story is about and whatever the Christian narrative is about, it is about human flourishing. It's not about becoming less human. It's not about becoming anti-human. It's about stepping into our full, beloved image of God-bearing humanity. And so anything that takes us out of that, anything that draws us away from that, anything that makes us feel guilty and ashamed or fearful, those things we've got to get rid of because they're not ultimately serving us Well, and so everything happens for a reason. Is that true? Um, I I think there are two things. One, I think we could talk about cause, and then we could talk about meaning. So when you talk about cause, everything literally does happen for a reason. Right, when an earthquake happens, it happens because tectonic plate, I looked this up on the internet, tectonic plates are slipping against each other on a fault line, and it creates seismic activity, right? So... Does an earthquake happen for a reason? Yes, because tectonic plates slip against each other on a fault line. But that's not where we go with it, right? We want to know the meaning. Does everything happen for a reason? What did the earthquake mean? Did God send the earthquake to punish somebody? Did God send the earthquake to punish? And and, and again, our, our language in the Bible sometimes is full of that sort of thing, right? Where people interpreted things that happened in the natural world as being some sort of divine omen or some sort of divine punishment. So if it doesn't rain and your crops are dying, my gosh, we must be on the wrong side of the deity, right? I mean, that's just sort of, that's that's where we've come from as human beings. Everything has a cause, but it doesn't mean, I think that cause in most cases, like earthquakes, can be explained by the natural world, by things that are happening. Does everything happen for a reason in a meaning sort of way? Is God going around doing things to us And is there some sort of meaning behind it? There's one story when I think about this question uh, in the Bible that pops up for me every time. And it's a story that I've come to love over the years. It's in the Gospel of John chapter 9. And it's a story um, that's uh, 
part of uh, one of Jesus' signs in John. The Gospel of John, the first part, is organized around seven signs Jesus does to sort of reveal who he is and what he's up to in the world. And one of those signs is the healing of a blind man. I want to read you this story. Uh, It's become one of my favorites. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Jesus' disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned so that he was born blind? This man or his parents? Jesus answered, neither his parent, neither he nor his parents. This happened so that God's mighty works might be displayed in him. While it's daytime, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. After he said this, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and smeared the mud on the man's eyes. Jesus said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. The word means sent. So the man went away and washed. When he returned, he could see. What an interesting story. And I, I love um, the, the follow-up to the story. It's, a really, it's the whole chapter, and it's really long. But what happens is the religious leaders are furious, and they figure out Jesus has done this, and he's violating some of their rules. And so they go to the man who's been healed, and they try to get him to sort of say Jesus is a sinner, right? He's, he's impure. He's out of bounds. The guy won't do it. Goes to the man's parents, like, was your son really born blind? They're like, yes, he was really born blind. So they go, this whole debate is about blindness. And the point of it is that religious leaders who are supposed to be able to see can't. Aren't you glad we don't have that problem in the world anymore? We've just transcended that. The people you would expect to see can't see, and the person you would expect to not see sees. And I love his response in verse 25 of chapter 9. They're grilling him. They're going after this, the man who was uh, recently healed, and here's what he says. I don't know whether he's a sinner. Here's what I do know. I was blind, and now I see. Isn't that a great response? He doesn't launch into doctrine and dogma. Well, Christ is the second person of the Trinity. How many natures does Christ have? That's the stuff we've spent church history arguing about. And this guy says, I don't know anything about all that. I don't know anything about the guy. I know that when he showed up, I was blind. And I know now I can see. And something has happened to me, in me, around me that has changed everything. That is a compelling story. I don't believe people really deep down, unless they're theology nerds, really want to just talk about doctrine. They want to talk about human transformation that leads to human flourishing. And I think that's, that's not even what the sermon's about, so I'm going to back off that before we have two. Um, but I think that's such a powerful story. I, I love the beginning of the story, though. Jesus and his disciples are walking along, and they see a man born blind, and the disciples immediately begin talking about him, not to him. They talk about him, not to him. He can hear. <laughs> and they come up to him, they're like, Jesus, who sinned? Right? This is a question. Jesus, we know everything happens for a reason. If somebody's born blind, they're born blind because somebody messed up. Was it this man or was it his parents? Now, first off, how did this man, how, can you, how could he have sinned pre-birth? Right? Augustine hadn't invented original sin yet, friends. We, we were born fine at that point in history. So how in the world would they begin with this? Who sent? Because if something bad happens, everything happens for a reason, we've got to find the source of the badness. And they see a human being with a real need, and they turn this human being into a theological debate. We also do this in the 21st century. Are you with me? Instead of seeing human beings with needs, with 
uh, an opportunity to welcome somebody into the family. Instead, we try to have a theological debate about who, how, when, where, and why. They begin with, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, his parents are horrible. It's totally their fault. Right? His parents, you know what? They cheated on their income taxes 30 years ago, and now they're being punished by having a child born blind. You know what? When they were riding their donkey, they ran a stop sign. Yep. And the, and the cops didn't see it, but I see everything, right? Like, that sort of thing. Jesus doesn't come back with that. What I, what I find is that, that Jesus does something to shift the conversation. They begin with not, did someone sin? They, they just begin with the assumption, who sinned? Everything happens for a reason. And Jesus comes back at them and says, neither. You want to talk about messing up somebody's worldview? When they believe everything happens because of somebody's actions and because God is either happy with you or mad at you, and you say to them, neither. This man hasn't sinned and his parents haven't sinned. Nobody did anything to deserve this. This guy was born blind. That's just what happened. I love the message translation of this passage. Walking down the street, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents causing him to be born blind. Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There is no such cause effect here. Look instead for what God can do. Jesus shifts the conversation. You're making an assumption that everything happens for a reason, that there's a cause and effect. Somebody does something wrong, God gets them. I had a roommate once who talked about getting God smacked all the time. That was the language, he, I thought it was a band he was talking about, but it actually, he was talking about, you know, I, I made a mistake and then something bad happened to me, right? Um, I, got, I was speeding and I got caught. God got me, right? Like, how, how many of you know exactly what I'm talking about? Like, how many of you have ever had something happen to you and that guilty part of your brain kicks in and you're like, I know exactly why this happened to me. I did something wrong and now God is evening the score. It is time to pay the piper. Is that how God works? It's how Jesus' disciples assumed God works. Everything happens for a reason. Since everything happens for a reason, everything's a cause and effect, then whatever you're going through must be the result of your fault or someone else's. And here's the thing I found uh, after 20 years of being a pastor, after 20 years of um, sitting down with people on the worst days of their life, when you have to look them in the eyes and say to them, your teenage child is not coming home. Right? Uh, I'll never forget sitting down with a teenager and saying to her, that her mom was gone way too young. And when you are in those moments, everything happens for a reason seems pretty horrible. What, what would the reason be? I mean, people say this to us to try to comfort us, right? I mean, how many, how many of you in this room have said the phrase, everything happens for a reason? How many of you say it when something bad happens? Right? We're, we're trying, I think it comes from a place that we're trying to comfort. We're trying to provide some sort of, hey, everything's going to be okay. Keep hanging on. Everything happens for a reason. When you're looking in the eyes of people who suffer, I mean, what do you do when, when you go to groups of people? What do you do, do you, when you see a, a group of people who are being completely mistreated and maligned and kept in cells and mis- just completely treated inhumanely? Do you go to them and say everything happens for a reason? God must be doing this to you for a reason? Is that how God works? I'm a massive fan of the show The Office. Uh, I don't know if you know this about me yet. Um, I quote The Office like some people quote the Bible. That's exactly 
how I would, I would frame that. I also, somebody pointed out to me, I also quote the Bible like some people quote the Bible. So we've got both going on. Um, but there's this scene, uh, how many of you are, just don't know the show at all? Okay, you can check out for five minutes. Um, <laughs> there's a scene in season two where the boss, Michael Scott, no relation, uh, had to fire an employee because they couldn't carry the salary anymore. So he had to pick an employee to fire. And he ends up firing this guy, Devin. And Devin, Devin loses his mind when he leaves, leaves the office. Later in the season, on the Christmas episode, Michael reveals that he got a massive bonus check because he fired Devin. And here's what he says. It was a tough year. I had to fire somebody this year. Check it out. Christmas bonus, 3,000 Gs, which is now how I'm going to refer to that forever. 3,000 Gs. I got this for helping save the company money, so I guess some good did come out of firing Devin after all. Maybe I should call and tell him. <laughs> Devin, I know you got fired, but everything happens for a reason. I just got 3,000 bucks, right? I mean, that, that's sort of a way we operate. And, and is it, would it be good news if everything happened for a reason? What kind of God would that be? The God who gives somebody cancer because somebody else did something. The God who takes away somebody else's spouse because they did something or somebody else did something. What kind of God would that be? I think we've grown up with a God. I mean, when people talk about God is dead, when people talk about uh, we need to leave God behind, there are real, really versions of God we need to leave behind that do not belong in the 21st century. Not because we have decided that God doesn't fit, but because what we're learning is as we grow and change and evolve, our understanding of God grows, changes, and evolves. It doesn't say the same. God is not a static frozen entity in the universe. God is the experience of life being pulled forward in a direction of more love, more compassion, more goodness, more justice, right? God is something that we, is it's unfolding in us and before us and around us. And when we talk about God, we're talking about something, as Nathaniel mentioned, it is a mystery that we do not fully understand. And I think we should say we do not really understand at all. That we're just beginning to become aware of. And our ancestors did this. They, they, they became aware of God in new ways and it radically changed how they treated one another. I mean, if in the first century, and, and there's a guy named Paul who wrote uh, about seven books of the Bible. Paul has a bad rep and he says some stuff that by 21st century standards aren't, it's not great. Okay? Paul, to my knowledge, was the first person in human history to argue that men, women, rich, poor, slave, and free could be in the same community at the same table eating the same food. Paul was like the first egalitarian. That's in our tradition. Now, we've rolled that back in all sorts of terrible ways, haven't we? But our understanding of God is unfolding. Does everything happen for a reason? Look, I don't believe God sends hurricanes. I think meteorologists can explain that to us better than theologians. I don't think God goes around giving people parking spots at Walmart and giving other people diseases. I don't think that's how it works. I think that's a God we need to leave behind. But what I will say is, the place I think we find God in all the moments of life, or not in the events themselves, but it's in the aftermath of the events themselves. I think when something happens, in, when an earthquake happens and lots of people are affected by it, I think that breaks God's heart, Right? And I think what you find is you find God in the recovery effort. This is what Jesus says, right? You're looking for a cause and effect. That's not how it works. Instead, look for what God might be up to now. Whatever you've gone through in your life that's been terrible, God didn't do that to you. 
God isn't punishing you. God isn't after you. Where we find God, in my experience, is always in those moments of other human beings coming around and being present and being connected and standing with us and standing by us. That's where, that's where you find God. In my experience, you never find God without some flesh and blood being involved. Are you with me? We so desperately want to sort of disconnect from the flesh and blood part of it, and yet that's where we always find God, embodied in the generosity, kindness, and compassion of the human beings who are around us. You will always meet God in flesh and blood. In my life, in the hardest moments of my life, in moments of struggle, in moments of, like it was never an anonymous check that came in the mail, it was always somebody who came around to help. Right? It, it was always somebody with an encouragement, somebody with some sort of... It was always flesh and blood. I don't think God causes things. I, I think where we find meaning is in the response. So what if we begin to look at our lives that way? Instead of looking at our lives thinking, everything happens for a reason, God must not be happy with me. What if we looked at it like this? Things happen. Things, we live in a universe with laws. Things happen. And even in the worst situations, even in the most painful situations, even in our grief and our anguish, what if we could ask the question, what might be possible through this? Not awesome, I, I'm glad to suffer because that's a good thing, but I'm in the middle of pain, but I do not believe the story is over. I, I love that. This man is sitting here, he's blind, he's listening to people debate him, talk about him, and his Jesus' response is to see this man as a human being and to say, that's not what's up here, guys. This man was born blind, and what we get to talk about is what is God going to do through it? What is God going to do in it? There's this sort of narrative that flows around in Christian circles where like, we, we want to glorify our suffering and we have a persecution uh, complex and all sorts of things. And that if we're suffering, it must mean God's happy with us. No, if we're suffering, it means we're human and we live in a world where people suffer. And I think we always find God in those moments of gathering around with other people, being supported, loved, and encouraged by them, and being able to say, what might be possible through this? I don't know what you've come here with. I mean, we all enter this space from different places, right? We all had different weeks, we all had different things happen. It's very likely some of you in this room right now um, came in here stressed, worried, and anxious. You came in here carrying a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. Um, it, it's likely that some of you came in here and you've had the best week of your lives, and we'd rather you just keep that to yourself. No, I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. We all rejoice together. We all weep together. Uh, just be tactful about how you rub it in our noses. Right? We all enter this space from different places, but the thing that I find is that as we gather today, we gather in the presence of whatever the word God means. The reason I know that is because you're here. And whatever the word God means, it's located in you. That reality is present in you. You bring God because you embody God. And that God that you embody, that God that you live, move, and exist in is not angry with you, does not need to mess with you to see what you'll do. That God grieves with you when you grieve, that God rejoices with you when you rejoice, that God meets you in your pain and suffering always through other human beings. And so wherever you are, does everything happen for a reason? No, it doesn't. Some things that happen in this world are senseless. When a, one human being 
because of hatred and racism, goes into a religious uh, context and just starts shooting people. That does not happen for a reason. It happens for a reason, but not a meaningful reason. Right? It's not that God's going, you know, in order to accomplish my plan, I need the suffering of innocence. That's not how God works. But my goodness, you can sure see God in the aftermath. You can see God in the way that people show resiliency, the way people extend forgiveness, the way people open their hearts and lives to each other in beautiful and profound ways. So I hope you'll hear that today. Everything doesn't happen for some divinely orchestrated reason, but right now, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, God is with you. And the song we, we just sang, Hold On, for some of us, that's, that's maybe all we can do right now. Keep holding on. And if you need somebody, if you need support, if you need encouragement, if you need an embrace, if you need somebody to listen to you, do, please don't leave today. We're not going to do an altar call. Um, the band's not going to come up and do 18 verses of Just As I Am. <laughs> I'm not going to stare worriedly at you like if you don't come. But here's what I'll say. I, I really, 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 really do hope if you need that today, that you won't leave without getting it. Because that's where you'll meet God. That's where you'll find God. Two God bearers talking to each other. Two people willing uh, to, to share the load. There's this great line in Paul, I think in Galatians, where he says, carry one another's burdens, and in doing so you fulfill the law of Christ, which is the law of love. Carry one another's burdens, and in doing so you fulfill the law of Christ, which is the law of love. Are you with me? Let's pray. God in whom we live, move, and exist. We breathe you in. You're like oxygen for us. And as we gather in this room today to be reminded that you are not angry, that you are not distant, that you are not punishing us, you're not messing with us, that you do not send disaster and grief and tragedy and calamity into our world to teach us lessons or to see how we'll respond. And we're also reminded that it is in the aftermath of the worst moments that some of the best moments are born. It is in our grief when we grieve, not alone but connected to other human beings, that something new can be born. It is when we realize that This man's not born blind because somebody messed up. He was just born blind, and now we get to see what God does in it and through it and with it. So may we hold our lives, may we hold our situations, may we hold them before you and each other. May we open our hearts, may we embrace where we need to embrace, may we give presence where we need to give presence. And may we never turn actual living, breathing human beings into theological debates, but may we always see one another as children of God, worthy of love, worthy of celebration, and worthy of embrace. We're grateful for this Jesus who challenges our conventional wisdom with unconventional wisdom that can set us free if we embrace it. We're grateful. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.